This is the Justice Fighter Podcast. Justice Fighter Podcast. With Attorney Gerald Griggs. Well, we have conversations on social justice, civil rights, and political news that affects us all. Let Attorney Griggs put you on game. Only on the Justice Fighter Podcast, y'all. What's going on, y'all? It's Attorney Gerald Griggs, the Justice Fighter, back on the Justice Fighter Podcast. And it's been a while since we've been on the podcast, but I thought it was important that we jump into the pod to discuss the Ahmad Arbery case. And so many of you know about Ahmad's case, but some of you don't. And so just for as a recap, there was a 25-year-old jogger in Brunswick, Georgia, that was gunned down by three white men uh, as he was jogging uh, back on fe- uh, February the 23rd, 2020, which led to a nationwide outcry when the video was released on March the 5th, 2020, leading to Freedom Summer 2020 and the unrest and the protests Uh, the largest civil rights demonstration in the history of this country. And so last week uh, was the culmination of that trial, the trial of um, uh, Travis McMichael, Gregory McMichael, and William Roddy Bryant, and the jury got it right. The jury convicted all three men for felony murder and one man for malice murder, uh, and the community was in um, a reflective mode a jubilant mode but also a mode of knowing that this was just the beginning the first step of justice in Amar's case so I wanted to hop on this podcast and kind of talk about how we got here what it took to get this level of accountability in a system where many believe we cannot get accountability and and this particular case uh, touches me um, directly because you know I was involved in this case from the very beginning um, when I received word from the Glen County NAACP of what happened uh, early March of 2020 and then ultimately received a copy of the tape and helped to, uh, to put the tape out there on my social platforms. And, of course, uh, it went viral with the help of Sean King and Lee Merritt and quite a few others that were integral in putting this case out. Uh, but I wanted to kind of, you know, talk about this case and unpack a lot of the things that happened in this case uh, from a perspective that that many don't know. Um, And and so I I can remember first getting word of this case from a New York Times reporter by the name of Richard Fawcett who reached out to me um, to kind of get some information about how things should go. And he he wasn't, you know, real direct in the actual um, name of the person involved or the full facts, but just wanted to get uh, um, a snapshot in how these things should be um, handled. And so I talked to Mr. Fawcett, must have been March of 2020. Uh, and then I got a call from uh, the State Conference of the Georgia NAACP under the leadership of James Woodall, the state president. And then we fully got engaged. We, we learned that um, former president of the Glen County NAACP, John Perry, um, got a call from the family of Ahmaud Arbery about this particular case. And we launched an investigation. Um, so we went down to uh, Glen County many times. I uh, personally went down there seven times, walked the neighborhood, talked to witnesses, made sure that we understood fully what was happening in Ahmad's case and, and why there had been such a drag in justice. Uh, we, we found out that this case had been turned over to the uh, Brunswick uh, District Attorney's Office, the Glen County District Attorney's Office, under the leadership of Jackie Johnson, who was a DA at that point, 
and she recused herself because of her close proximity and relationship with one of the defendants who was a former employee of the Glen County um, Glen County uh, Police Department as well as the, the, the Glen County DA's office. And so that was curious. She turned it over to the DA and the next over circuit, uh, George Barnhill, who's a DA in Waycross, and he penned a letter um, that went down in infamy. Now, let's be clear. From the beginning, no one had ever claimed that this was a citizen's arrest. It wasn't until uh, the district attorney who had recused herself uh, turned it over to the new district attorney who penned the letter, which claimed that Travis and Gregory McMichael were trying to um, uh, engage in a citizen's arrest of a burglar, uh, which is what caused this case to go in a different direction than it needed to go. Um, so after Wanda Cooper-Jones um, reached out to many, many different platforms, she uh, had heard from the detectives on the scene, uh, and they ultimately told them, he heard that uh, Mr. Aubrey was shot because he was a burglary suspect. Uh, she found out from a local news reporter that there was a different story that had been given in the local news, the Brunswick News. And so that's when she began to push. She pushed. Uh, she also um, was assisted by a, a young activist. She wasn't an activist at the time, but now a young activist by the name of Theowanza Brooks, who we will have on the podcast very soon um, to investigate this particular case. And so got civil rights organizations involved, got the local activists involved, and we started to deep dive into this case. And we started finding out that there were some problems with the narrative that was being put out there. We found out that the house that was supposedly burglarized was actually a vacant um, house under construction. Uh, the owner was named Larry English, um, and he had had numerous um, situations on that property, but nothing was ever taken. In this particular situation, nothing was taken. Um, so all of this was brought out <clears throat> in the trial. And the trial lasted for about five weeks. Uh, four weeks were jury selection and then a week and a half of trial. And we were present um, most of those days of the trial. I was present a few days of the trial but watched it all online and was present for the verdict. Um, but I have to give shout-outs and kudos to the activists that were on the ground, people like Barbara Arnwine with Transformative Justice Coalition and Daryl Jones with Transformative Justice Coalition. And the one person who was there every single day of the trial, uh, Ms. Ms. Polite from the Brunswick NAACP, 87-year-old uh, young lady who was out there every single day. So shout-out to them for holding that space down. But what we learned in our investigation um, was that Ahmaud Arbery uh, was merely jogging in this community, had stopped at the vacant uh, um, house under construction, looked around, and then began jogging again when he was chased by Travis and Gregory McMichael and William Roddy Bryant, who recorded it all. He was chased for about five minutes. And so this case was very disturbing, to say the least, uh, that you had a 25-year-old jogger who was basically chased down by a lynch mob and executed. And so on May the 5th, when we received the video and we posted the video and the video went viral, uh, we found out the video had always been in the custody of law enforcement from the very inception of this case. It was turned over then. It was because that the lawyer for one of the defendants turned the video over to a local news station and it was posted on their 
Facebook and then subsequently taken down that the video became public and then ultimately went viral with the help of many activists around the country. And so what we learned from the Ahmaud Arbery case was the power of collective activism, the power of social media, the power of elevating the voice of, of a family. And so the trial was very emotional. It was very um, difficult to watch. There were many things that happened um, outside of the trial and in the trial that were very disturbing, to say the least. Um, we had a situation that during the jury selection, um, they pretty much deselected all of the African-Americans with the exception of one. Uh, Judge Walmsley found that there was intentional discrimination but did not reseat um, additional jurors because of that um, tactic used by the defense, which is called a reverse Batson challenge, is what the prosecution did was a reverse Batson challenge, uh, which claimed that the defense was striking members of the jury on the basis of race alone. Um, but the defense team was able to come up with a race-neutral explanation, and so the judge indicated that he could not reseat those African Americans. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. We had defense attorney Kevin Goff makes several racially insensitive statements during the course of this trial. The most famous one was we don't want any more black, po uh, black pastors coming in here um, when he was making reference of the Reverend Al Sharpton and the Reverend Jesse Jackson, which led to almost a thousand pastors coming um, to the trial to show support for the Arbery family. There was also um, you know, derogatory statements in closing examinate closing argument made by another prosecutor who um, indicated that Ahmad caused through his decisions what happened to him, and he was not a victim. And you could tell that by his clothing, um, his khaki shorts, his um, long, dirty toenails, and no socks in his his shoes, uh, which was made by one of the defense attorneys. And, and so, you know, we saw. Throughout this trial, the issue that underscored everything that was happening was an issue of race. Uh, but ultimately, the jury got it right. Um, they found the defendants guilty of uh, one defendant, uh, Travis Michael, guilty of murder, uh, malice murder, and the other two guilty of felony murder and a host of other charges. And now they face um, sentencing um, very soon by Judge Walmsley. But I wanted to you know, kind of talk about this and unpack this case. And I think the reason why we need to unpack this case is because it came on the heels uh, of another case, the Kyle Rittenhouse case, which was not similar to this case. Uh, but many media outlets have been reporting them as if they were a pair, and they're not. We have to remember that this case happened well before the Kyle Rittenhouse case, and that this case was the impetus for the civil disobedience civil unrest that happened in 2020. We have to remember that what was happening in America was we were all engrossed in the response to COVID-19 and the fact that we were, many of us were sheltered in place when this video hit that caused America to have a racial awakening, a racial reckoning. And, and that happened right before two other cases um, that led to the biggest protests in, in, in American history, of course, in Georgia history, which would be, of course, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. The Kyle Rittenhouse case happened in response to protests later for the Jacob Blake shooting um, that led to protests in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and activists 
and civilians taken to the streets and Mr. Rittenhouse feeling the need to arm himself uh, either across state lines or within the state of Wisconsin and defend property, which ultimately led to the loss of life of, of several individuals. Those two cases, Ahmaud Arbery and Kyle Rittenhouse, are distinctly different. One happened in the middle of a protest where several individuals were armed. This case was an unarmed jogger who was jogging through a community uh, and was gunned down by three vigilantes. Uh, so that's the difference in those cases, and I really would hope that everybody would stop comparing both the cases and the outcome. Two different cases, two different factual scenarios, two different laws, two different states, not related. But the outcome of the uh, Ahmaud Arbery case um, was profound, not only by the verdict, but by the um, political change that happened because of Ahmad, We have to remember that Georgia had a um, archaic law, citizen's arrest statute, um, which had its origins in slavery. Um, it, it empowered citizens uh, to make arrests of fugitive slaves where the law originated from here in the state of Georgia. It was ultimately, um, it was overturned uh, by the legislature and signed into law by the governor that they repealed the citizen's arrest statute. Um, but they also created a hate crime enhancement in Georgia. Georgia did not have hate crime protection before Ahmad's case. So the political change and winds that were blowing in Georgia because of a young jogger can never be understated. Ahmad has changed the course of Georgia history because of the activism of his family, because of the activism of activists and the community that gathered uh, both black people and white people and people of good conscience who thought that it was completely uncalled for what happened in the Centilla Shores uh, community. And, and I must speak on Centilla Shores. I've been there, like I said, seven times and, and had an opportunity to speak to many of the neighbors who wanted the rest of the world to understand that this was not representative of their community. These individuals acted in a manner that was not consistent with the rule of law or um, decency and love for your fellow human. But what they also wanted to know, for people to know, and I think it came out during the course of the trial, uh, there was no rash of crime happening in the Centilla Shores community. There had been one report of a burglary and one report of a car break-in, and the report of the car break-in was by Travis McMichael. Um, so it flew in the face of the allegations that the McMichaels uh, were making, saying that neighbors on Facebook were saying there was a rash of crime that was going on. And even the witnesses that came in to testify on behalf of the McMichaels uh, indicated there was not a rash of criminal activity. There was a uh, hysterical response to the fear of criminal activity and the only violent crime that actually happened in that community was the unlawful killing of Ahmaud Arbery. You know, there were several other disturbing things that we learned in the course of the trial. The fact that Ahmaud was not rendered aid uh, by the first responder uh, on the scene, and he was actually still alive when this happened. Uh, there were several statements that did not come into evidence, uh, but witnesses would have testified to several racial uh, epithets being hurled at the young man as he lay dying. Uh, of course, the 
vanity plate, the uh, Confederate flag that was on the Michael's truck was not allowed in. So a lot of the racial undercurrent did not reach this particular jury because of decisions uh, on evidence by the judge or decisions uh, on not presenting certain evidence by the prosecution. But my hat is off to the prosecution team, uh, which was led by Linda Donikowski uh, from the Cobb County District Attorney's Office under the leadership of Flynn Brody. They did a phenomenal job of presenting this very, very difficult case uh, in a very professional way uh, that prevented uh, a travesty of justice. So my hat is off to them um, for this uh, professional prosecution team that presented the evidence in a succinct way that the jurors, jurors were able to come back with the correct verdict. The jury was out probably about 11 hours. Uh, they thoughtfully went through the evidence and, and they convicted these defendants. Uh, and I think this particular case is a model to the rest of the nation how we deal with these issues. You know, many people have issues with the criminal justice system and how uh, justice is meted out. But we learned in a modern civics lesson how this system uh, can be used for good. You know, the activists and the families that pushed for this level of accountability should be applauded. They were peaceful. They were nonviolent. They were focused. They made sure that elected officials heard them both on the local, state, and federal level, and they were ultimately successful. And because of their sustained pressure, again, they were out there for five weeks in front of the courthouse, peacefully and nonviolently, letting people know that they loved uh, Ahmaud Arbery and that his memory would live on, and they were watching this entire case. And so I, my hat is off to them. My hat is off to the Glenn County NAACP and the state conference uh, for bringing attention to this case. My hat is off to other organizations that joined. Uh, thank you to the National Action Network, and thank you to the Black Panthers and, and so many other organizations that came in to elevate the voice of this family. Uh, special thanks goes to Pastor Pharrell Malone, who helped lead a six-county tour um, to raise awareness uh, for justice for uh, Ahmad. My hat goes off to the Grassroots Law Project, which helped amplify this, and, of course, uh, activists like Sean King and so many others that made this a national case uh, that brought so much spotlight to uh, what was happening in southeast Georgia. But one thing we can't forget there are other cases in Southeast Georgia that need the exact same attention. As we were down in Southeast Georgia, we heard about Kelsey Rayner's case. We heard um, uh, about Pernell Harris's case. We heard about Carolyn Small's case. And we are just learning more and more about cases that are happening in Southeast Georgia. This was not the first case. Of course, we have Kendrick Johnson's case. And a little bit further down in uh, northern Florida, uh, Jordan Davis and then, of course, Trayvon Martin. Um, so this area of the country has always had an issue with these type of cases, and we must keep our eye on those areas and make sure that those communities are lifted up and they understand uh, that we will continue in the fight for justice and accountability. Um, you know, before we get out of here, I, I do want to um, thank everyone that's been listening to the Justice Fighter podcast. We're going to endeavor to bring more episodes of the Justice Fighter podcast with more guests uh, so you can get a front row view of justice, activism, civil rights, and social justice. We have a few things on our horizon uh, coming up in 2022, just like we did in 2021 and 2020. 
but we need your support. Um, so when when I post, uh, when I comment, when I put up episodes, please share them on all social platforms so we can get the message out. Because one thing we learned in the Ahmaud Arbery case is when the people convene, justice is present. And we must convene um, often to make sure we hold people accountable. There's a lot of things going on in the state of Georgia. Of course, we got voter suppression. Of course, we still have uh, racial intolerance and police brutality. But we have to convene and educate ourselves in real time about what's happening on the ground. And that's why platforms like this are important, where we can get that information out directly to you so you can understand what's happening in real time. So as I said before, um, we will have additional episodes on the Ahmaud Arbery case. We will bring some of the people that were responsible uh, for this activism, for this awareness. Uh, to, you can hear directly from them how this was put together so we can make this a model to the rest of the country of how we appropriately handle these type of cases. Uh, so that, that's my hope with this platform. Again, I'm Attorney Gerald Griggs, a justice fighter. Thank you for listening to the Justice Fighter podcast, and I'll see you on the next episode. This is the Justice Fighter podcast. Justice Fighter podcast. With Attorney Gerald Griggs. Attorney G. Well, we have conversations on social justice, civil rights, and political news that affects us all. Let Attorney Griggs put you on game. Only on the Justice Fighter podcast, y'all.